in most companies, the product manager has a lot of authority there. So if you're on a team that doesn't have a product manager, you really need design leadership or engineering leadership to step into that role and make sure to make a case and ensure that you're getting a part of that prioritization and, and being recognized with the work. So that was the first challenge. And the second challenge is really just keeping pace with technology because technology is inherently ever evolving and we're trying to predict what's needed one year from now, two years from now. And it's really difficult to predict that, especially if the technology doesn't even exist yet. So you're trying to build a scalable global infrastructure for this big team, ensure it's sustainable, and also make sure everyone's on board to use it. As we know, a lot of folks are opinionated on what technology should we use, you know, what design program should we use. Um, so to mitigate risk, I always partner really closely with my engineering partners and with product leadership to and my team to just check in often and make sure that the people that are using the design system and using the product and building things every day in it, are you're getting insight from them and they're on board and they're supportive and you can help lead them in that way. Uh, you'll make mistakes because you can't always predict the future and new technology is always coming out but it's helpful to have those partners so that you make that mistake together and can grow and learn from it. Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode of View from the Top by ADP List, where I sit with world-class design and product leaders to learn from their experiences building and leading today's most successful company. We have today here with us, Jess Clark, Head of Design at Calendly. Hello, thank you for inviting me to join you today, Felix. Thank you. Jess is a really familiar face for all of us here at ADP List. She was a part of our Be More Festival 2022 last year, hopefully this year as well, where she spoke about her career path from being an intern at LinkedIn to now the head of design at Kalenli. I'm super excited to be sitting with her today to dive even deeper into her work and journey. Now, Jess, I'm sure you have covered this many times, but for our listeners who don't know this, let's touch on this very quickly. You started first as a front desk receptionist at LinkedIn, moving on to become their first design intern and eventually left as their director of product design in Design Foundations. I don't even know where to begin with this, but let's talk about it. You know, how did this happen? What has really helped you to keep faith throughout this process and this journey overall? Yes, thank you. First, I'll talk about how did it happen? Because there's how did it happen? And then of course, like, how did I stay motivated? Um, a decade plus at the same company as well in this industry, uh, I know shocks a lot of people as well. Um, so how did it happen? That's a big question. While I was attending local university, San Jose State, I was working several different jobs, applying to different internships. I like to remind people that this timing was following the Great Recession. So similar feeling to what we have today a little bit. I was sending out a bunch of different um, you know, ap applications and I wasn't getting any response. At the time, I was looking at Apple and Gap. I had graduated with a graphic design degree um, and wasn't no one was getting back to me. Um, but one of my jobs that I had was working as a temp front desk receptionist around a bunch of different Silicon Valley companies, um, many which were like Informatica and Citrix, but one of which was LinkedIn um, before it was a household name and before people really knew what it was. Uh, and during a conversation at the front desk with the head of design, Steve Johnson, who's now VP of design at Netflix, um, he, I shared with him my work and I had the opportunity to share my portfolio. 
And he shared feedback with me, which was very generous. And I spent all night working on the designs. I had like a Wix site and there was some flash involved uh, for those of you that were there for flash days. Uh, and from there, he offered me an internship. So I quit my temp role. I joined as the first design intern. And that really led to over a decade of learning at LinkedIn and really learning from the best across several teams and several products. And of course, staying motivated a decade through there, it was really the talented people. People were super talented. It was a really interesting problem space. It changed a lot throughout my time there and just a unique time in tech. And even at the start of my career, I really understood how valuable it was to work with the best people. And these people now lead design across the industry. As I mentioned, Steve, Amy at ServiceNow, Joanne yeah. at Uber. I'm very motivated by growth and I had an amazing opportunity to learn so much from really the best in the industry. And LinkedIn is... was growing. Oh, yeah. And LinkedIn was growing quickly too, uh, moving into new product areas, establishing a new way of thinking about work. And so really the people and and the time in the industry and the product really kept me motivated throughout my time there. That is that is really exciting. So I know that you dive into you know, design system at, during your time at LinkedIn. And obviously you are a huge advocate of that. But before that, I just want to maybe uh, uh, touch on your story a little bit, just with one question. Did you just, you know, as a front desk receptionist, did you just reach out to Steve Johnson as he was walking across the reception? I, I'm wondering how did that happen? Yes, I was there. I probably for a year, year and a half in that role. So at the time, I was just talking to everybody, uh, Steve included. So talking to people yeah. in marketing, talking to people in finance. Um, for a time, I was even helping, you know, looking at receipts and helping them do that. So really, <laughs> at the time of when when there's a recession and you're trying to apply to jobs and you're thinking, how do I find my place in this world and, and not having a lot of guidance through it? My goal was, how do I connect with each person here and just help them be better at their job, especially when there's there's things moving so quickly? So at the time I was talking to everyone and really trying to get my foot in the door anywhere. And when he happened to reach out and ask me what I was graduating with, and I said graphic design, it just led to a natural path there. Um, and I, wow. I was doing all kinds of design, by the way. I even made like signs for the security team with like the little fire <laughs> drill bell. And I was like, I'll put these on the doors for you. So wow. I did a bunch of different things. And really it was just, he opened that door. Um, I, had, I had to walk through it, but really he had to be yeah. able to open that door door to and talk to me about it wow you you really made that opportunity work for yourself and i think for anyone listening you know there's a lot of inspiration to take away from just the fire inside of you jess so when when you took on the design system manager role diving on onto that at linkedin was it already existing within linkedin or was it a, a new and emerging role back then yeah, there was a precedent for the role already. It took a many different forms. So when I actually started my internship, I was on product. But then when I started full time, I ended up on like the Marcom team, which is like marketing communication. And I think as we've seen design system evolve, it went from Marcom to like visual styling, systems, infra. So there was a precedent for the role and someone in this leadership role to help bridge the gap between marketing and design and visuals. Of course, as we've seen with design systems, it's definitely moved towards engineering as well and tooling and how to help teams be productive. So when I stepped into the leadership role, there was already a precedent for that manager role, but we were also folding in a bunch of new things like a focus on accessibility, applying a new design system, across the product and extending into areas like tooling, like creating 
Figma plugin. So it was nice to have a precedent for the role already, but then I was able to take that, look at the business and extend the scope so I could grow my career alongside the team expanding their scope as well. Well, that is that is really exciting. Not not many designers these days, you know, go into bigger companies has the opportunity to help expand the scope. Considering you know it was done before, a lot of systems in place. I was just wondering, you know, as as you talk, what are some of the challenges as you're thinking to expand the scope and really growing into the maturity of this company? Because LinkedIn is obviously growing really fast as as you were there uh, during the time there. And so, what were some of the challenges that you know you were you were facing as you fill this gap and start expanding the scope as well? One of the challenges I tackled was really around the people and the team, the product as well, but creating stability and structure for the team as the scope continuously grew. So as the team grew, I needed to figure out a way to make sure that we could continue to build on that momentum and that it was scalable and that everyone was feeling motivated along the way. So the way I measured success was in ensuring the, the work scaled was also ensuring that the people could scale as well. So making sure there was a career trajectory for the designers that actually focused deeply on systems work. I think that was really hard at the time when there was a precedent for the team, but folks didn't really think that people understood their skill set and how it is a part of product design, but there's also a lot of other pieces with it. And so some folks were getting stuck in that, right? When you look at traditional career paths, they said, well, you didn't hit all of these different things. So are you really ready for that more senior role? So part of it was creating a structure for the team so that they could have visibility and could achieve their own success. And then also looking on the career paths and making sure that the systems work they were doing was being recognized as product design. And then also just measuring the impact we had on the business. Because as a designer, as you accelerate in your career, you also need to demonstrate that you're having that business impact. And so really measuring the success of the team as well as helping the individuals have that career trajectory. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, one of the things that you know I've noticed here at ADP List and obviously uh, many mentors along as well was that a lot of designers, especially the new ones coming to the industry, didn't quite understand that as a designer, you know, business is a big part of what you do and measuring the business impact is something. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, as we talk about the 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 infrastructure and building of that, you know, caring about the, the career trajectory of your colleagues and especially the people that you manage, were there any challenges as you as you build this infrastructure? Because I would imagine that the listeners that are listening to this might be building their own teams and they might be struggling with some challenges as well. Could you share on those things? Of course. I'll focus on two different challenges. The first, driving prioritization and the impact of the work. The team at the time um, and, and when I left didn't have a dedicated product manager assigned. And I believe that's true for a lot of different infrastructure teams. Some teams are starting to add that. So I took on a bunch of different aspects of that role, which created a challenge in itself for me because I drove the roadmap, created the timelines, and then I evaluated the quality of work. And you end up in a situation where it's pretty unique that you're trying to, you know, hold people accountable and figure out how to drive the prioritization while also continuing to create momentum and motivation for the team. So that was something that was challenging just from a, a team aspect of making sure that we had leadership and that we were in the room. When you have a room where people are making product decisions and prioritization decisions, 
in most companies, the product manager has a lot of authority there. So if you're on a team that doesn't have a product manager, you really need design leadership or engineering leadership to step into that role and make sure to make a case and ensure that you're getting a part of that prioritization and, and being recognized with the work. So that was the first challenge. And the second challenge is really just keeping pace with technology because technology is inherently ever evolving and we're trying to predict what's needed one year from now, two years from now. And it's really difficult to predict that, especially if the technology doesn't even exist yet. So you're trying to build a scalable global infrastructure for this big team, ensure it's sustainable, and also make sure everyone's on board to use it. As we know, a lot of folks are opinionated on what technology should we use, you know, what design program should we use. Um, so to mitigate risk, I always partner really closely with my engineering partners and with product leadership to and my team to just check in often and make sure that the people that are using the design system and using the product and building things every day in it, are you're getting insight from them and they're on board and they're supportive and you can help lead them in that way. Uh, you'll make mistakes because you can't always predict the future and new technology is always coming out but it's helpful to have those partners so that you make that mistake together and can grow and learn from it. Well, I really like what you say, Jess, about, you know, having sort of like the voice alongside product leadership. And if there is no product leadership, and I believe that there in some companies, there are no product leaderships, the design leaderships have to step up and do the work. And to the second point about, you know, trending technology and keeping up the trend, I think that's so relevant, especially today as we're talking, you know, chat GPT, and so many GPTs have just emerged. Has that, you know, just, just to maybe touch on that a little bit, has the recent changes in AI, you know, changed the workflow within your company, within your teams? Has that been a discussion at all for, for, for you right now? It's really interesting. I think it's changed the discussion. It's definitely changed how we, you know, approach our work, how we evaluate our work. In some ways, I think it's still really early. It's really exciting, but it's really early you know, you can see that there's a lot of different perspectives and opinions on it, right? Is this good for us? Is this bad for us? It's a really exciting time, though. I think going back to the the, the days of when I started in tech, it feels like a similar vibe. It feels like there's a similar opportunity where there's this new technology that's really exciting, really interesting. There's also some drawbacks. And so if if designers or anyone in the company starts, you know, is interested in unlocking their career or unlocking something in their company, it's digging in and learning about it and then using that, you know, gaining leverage and saying like, I have an idea on how we can leverage this and moving forward, whether it comes from a product idea or whether it comes from seeing a concern in the future and, and making sure to, to play to that and create safeguards within your company uh, for your users and for your customers. So very interesting time, definitely changes the game. Uh, but I think we're still, we're still on the road to figuring out what that looks like for everyone. That is that is exciting. And I just love how you are so opportunistic about things, you know, just looking at the, the positive and also the, the, the negative impact of things and just looking at it from a problem-solving point of view. Now, um, you know, talking about, you know, back to your LinkedIn days where, you know, you're really working on design systems. Um, one of the things that actually what I realized is that a lot of companies don't don't know much about design systems. I don't think that a lot of CEOs are or just basically people in the product team or outside of the 
the design team actually know how valuable design system can be. Um, I'm just curious, like, you know, what are the biggest misconceptions when you work cross-functionally and just having to advocate for design system and kind of like things that you wish people knew were important about design system? I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I've experienced is that it's a distraction or that it's just visual um, and that it's disconnected from the business. In reality, when you're running a systems team and you run it like a product team, which you know you need to do, so there is some onus on the team to say, hey, we're going to run this like a product team, then the output does have a direct impact on the bottom line. And I think that's really important. So there are a lot of misconceptions. It can start from both places, right? It can start from the place of, is that team really connecting their work to the business impact? Because they need to do that. And then it can also just be about educating, right? Educating folks who don't have an understanding of what a design system really is and how in the depth of it, it's not just surface level. So I think everyone kind of plays a role in making sure that that folks understand what the impact is, but it definitely has a business impact to the bottom line. Well, thanks for sharing that. We'll dive a little bit into that, that business impact and how we sort of measure the ROI of that. But for now, you know, are there any tools and frameworks that you actually constantly reach out to that's never really failed you, whether it comes to design system or just design in general? Are, are there anything that, that is, you know, sort of like something that you rely on on a day-to-day -day basis? And is this sort of like a individual or team-dependent tool or framework? I think over the last few years, especially with a lot of our tools evolving, I've I've been saying a prototype is worth a thousand words. And really leaning into that framework as applicable to any team and any part of the process, design systems or with products. So it goes for design, product, data science, research, engineering. There's so much context lost in documents and slides. You know, I've seen we get to these slide decks that have 50 slides. It's 100 slides and we're trying to explain something when really a prototype can do that work for us. So docs and slides have a place, but prototyping can help us tell a story. It provides context. It also surfaces the unexpected. No matter how many times a designer tries to create frames or create screens, there's things that you really can't understand or uncover until you have that prototype in place. Um, so one example from when I was designing was I partnered with a product manager and he was asked to put together a one-pager for quarterly planning. Uh, this was a few years ago. And instead, uh, he connected with me and another designer and actually worked with us to build out a prototype in only a few days. You know, it was a Figma prototype, a few days, we were able to hook it up and show it. It was a product area that didn't yet exist. So what was powerful about the prototype is that it could demonstrate the idea much better than words could, because now you're defining words that people still don't know. So then you need a dictionary that explains the words. So a prototype can really get across the, the whole feeling of what you're trying to share, the context of what you're trying to share. Uh, so that, that's an example for product. From design systems, uh, before I left the team, something that was really fun that we did was we actually prototyped a new fake app with the design system. So we were building a new design system. And when you build a new design system, it's not just about the components. It's also about the language. It's also about the guidelines. You're trying to give the designers to think outside of what they're already creating. And that can be hard without co-designing with them or like redesigning their screens. And that can get a little bit... Uh, touchy when you're taking designers who are already designing and redoing their screens. So what we did was we spent a couple of days 
we prototyped out a new app that had nothing to do with our existing app, just to showcase the new visual language, to showcase the new guidelines and how it was supposed to come together. So you can really catch the feel of the intention of what we were doing. So it was really fun and helped motivate the team, especially because in systems, sometimes you don't really get to do that product design anymore, but it also really helped communicate our story. So I'm a big fan of prototype as much as possible and introducing that into your process. It's also as a leader of a team, a really big unlock to improving design velocity on your team and across your product life cycle. It can be really daunting to tackle and add it to your team process, especially if you have designers today that aren't really doing that. Um, but I've seen it with the tools that we have today really improve results across the board and things that used to take us months to work on can now be done in weeks. So really big unlock if you're a leader to spend the investment and helping your team understand how prototyping can be a part of your process. Thanks for sharing that, Jess. And, you know, I really relate to you so much because one of the things that we do at ADP is every single week we have what we call the demo days to the CEO. And so I'm the CEO. And so, you know, what we have done is that we would have several prototypes that were ready to go out or for handoff or just at any stages, you know we don't really look at product documents anymore. Like we do have them just as an archive, but you know, we just go into these meetings and just demo and everyone just take like 20 minutes to sit down quietly, demo it and write our feedbacks. And that has been so productive. So I, I can, I can assure everyone listening to this is that if your company is as big as the one that Jess is working in and as small as the one that I'm working in right now, you know, demos definitely work really well. Um, Jess, so let's dive into the final part, which is um, ROI, right? Like business impact for designers and, and you know, basically design systems tying back to that or just product design in general. Um, how do you, you know, uh, ensure that this design that you're doing actually ties back to business metrics? Are there anything that people can look out for? Like designers can really, um, you know, ensure that they're measuring the right success for what they're doing. And where do they start on this process of measuring this success and not just the success of their own design? I love this question because metrics always matter. Even as an individual, you should understand how your work connects to the impact of the business. So there's a lot of different ways that you can measure impact, some of them more directly, some of them more indirectly. Common ones that we've seen are NPS, click-through rate, uh, designer developer time. There's a bunch of things that you can do from a design system perspective, but also as a product perspective. But as an individual, very important that you understand how your work is getting connected to that bottom line and to the business. As an example, in a visual redesign I led a few years ago, we made a changes to an email. They were visual changes, but it resulted in a 50% improvement in click-through rate. And so that's when you can say, okay, my work and the visual refresh we did directly correlates to the business. And that is really powerful, not only for the business and for you to know kind of where you're at and how you're tracking in your own career and like what you're capable of uh, and for your for your own career, really. Um, as, as another example, we launched a new design library in Figma. And this is one of those things that can be hard to get prioritized because say you're reorganizing it and you're doing things differently and it's, it feels more like in, in, indirect. But we did interviews with designers after that. And some of them reported that they were creating work three times faster. And if you're running a business or if you're a leader, you understand that every person's time 
equals money and translates directly to the business. And so even things like productivity tooling can really directly translate to the business and make an impact. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Those are really quantifiable metrics and anyone looking at this would be really impressed. And one of the things that I often advise to, you know, just members of public designers is that, hey, look, you know, when companies hire, hire a designer, I think, first of all, they don't just want to make things look beautiful or easy to use. They want to bring in business result. And so, you know, all these things actually add up back to your career, as you mentioned, and that when you're just putting up together a portfolio or a resume, these are going to be business metrics that really going to matter at the end of the day. And, you know, it's not just about beautifying things, but it's about, you know, the things that you mentioned, click-through rates and helping people work faster. All these little things really add up uh, to your individual career. So thanks for sharing that, Jess. Now, I want to touch on the second part, um, which is your role at Calendly, right? There's a lot of history. That's a lot of history and experience that you've acquired at LinkedIn, it was 12 years at LinkedIn. And and to be honest, you know, 12 years is a very long time for any designers or <laughs> just any any employees in general to stay in a company. So loyalty is pretty rare these days. And, and, and you definitely have shown that. Um, and now you're back at Product Design Calendly. I'm curious, you know, what sparked this move to Calendly? Um, what challenges drawn you uh, to join this company? Yeah, it was a lot of little things really all put together. Um, you can imagine the pressure that mounts within me too. Being at a company so long, even just thinking about leaving uh, feels really odd. And it, it is hard because it's a part of that process. You're really leaving somewhere that felt like home to me. Um, not only personally, because I had changed so much and grown so much personally, but also professionally. Um, so it was a lot of little things all together that really... Um, you know, encourage me to to branch out. Uh, so I was, yeah, finishing up 12 years at LinkedIn and just drawn to a new challenge. I really missed product design. I was in infrastructure design for a few years at the end there and also just missed being part of an early growth company. At Calendly, I have the opportunity to lead the team through a very similar growth stage that I joined LinkedIn as an intern. And so it's really fun to experience this time in a company, but in a totally different role. Um, I'm driven by creating value, exponential impact. And so here in this role, I get the opportunity to build a team, build a culture, drive velocity with things like prototyping and establish being a best in class remote first team. So there was just so much about the leadership team here, the approach to the work here, and just being in this time at this place that really got me excited about the role. And fun story, I actually downloaded Calendly for the first time for ADP list. So oh, wow. that's how I got introduced to Calendly to start my <laughs> sessions when they were plugged in together. Um, and yeah. it was just such a serendipitous moment when I was able to find the opportunity for head of design thinking I recently downloaded the app and this is just a really fun moment of serendipity for me and got me really wow. excited about what can be what can be done here at Calendly. Wow, this is this is really exciting and 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 serendipitous as well. You know, you you talk about the challenges that that you face, you know, going in, and obviously these are the things that drawn you from building teams to building culture, driving driving velocity, but also experimentation, right? Have you, you know, being there for you know about a year or so now, is there things that you know you have successfully target uh, or solved, you know, um, in terms of these problems that that you're tackling, 
and some stories that you want to share around um, those sort of like the first few months when, when you're inside, what was chaotic, what was good about it? Yes, I I feel like I've tackled a lot of them in that year. In some ways, it feels like a lot has got done in the year. In some ways, it feels like we still have a long way to go, which I imagine is the case for, for this size of team and where we are as a company. So I built a strong team. We increased design velocity. We developed skills in prototyping. We started collaborating across all the different product areas. We're very involved in running experiments. So just thinking about from a design perspective, how can we lead in terms of partnering with our our product teams together to figure out what do we want to experiment on even in product? So we're not just looking at uh, you know, Figma prototypes and and waiting um, until we have time or it could be on the roadmap, but we can experiment early and often, which is really fun. And in several of the projects, we move design to the left so that we can use design thinking and we can use prototyping, as I mentioned before, to really partner with product to cast that vision. And from a leadership perspective, there's also other things, you know, in terms of operations and leading a team of rolling out career pathing, rolling out fun design monthly meetings where we have breakouts and get to know each other as a team and updating the team structure to make sure that we're able to accomplish what we want to in the most effective way. So I've done a lot of things from looking at the structure, looking at individuals, and then also looking at the product to make sure that we can successfully tackle all of the challenges ahead of us. And the last year feels really like a big foundational year. And I'm very excited about year two, now that we have the design leadership team in place and a lot of the designers in place to continue from here. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, I'm just really curious. There's a lot of challenges that you have to really solve. And obviously most of them are much, you know, about growing a team and culture. Were there any, changes or new things i would rather say like new new things where 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 you hadn't faced in at linkedin and you had to learn completely new and what were those things like how were they different you know from what you had envisioned hmm. that's a good question i don't think that i've been surprised by that much which actually is the surprise i was actually i was thinking about this recently um just thinking about the year as i hit my anniversary last week and really reflecting on, you know, what has the journey been like here? What did I expect? What did I not expect? And I wasn't really surprised that much, but that was a surprise in itself. Because I think when you look at leadership roles, whether you're in design or whether you're in a different leadership role in your life, if you distill leadership down to the most foundational aspects, it really is about solving problems and getting better at solving problems, getting faster at solving problems, um, being able to do that and uh, with bringing people along and creating great morale um, and doing it in an optimistic, positive way. So a lot of what I do day to day is just think to myself, how can I show up today? How can I be the person the organization needs? How can I connect the dots across the company? How can I move this forward? How are people feeling about the team? Are people feeling included? Are they feeling like they're doing their best work? Are we working better together? And so all of those aspects, even if the challenges themselves change from day to day, the way I approach the challenges remains the same. And I'm always in a mode of making sure that I'm prioritizing the right problems and then solving those problems in an effective way and just getting better at it and being a great example for my team. So yeah, I, I love my role. It feels less different than I thought than my last role, 
Um, yeah. I just try to show up and be my best every day. Oh, thanks for sharing that. There, there seems to be a lot of intent just within the design team and just also collaborating. I, I'm just wondering, you know, as the team grows and obviously you have seen that um, both at Calendly right now um, and as well as LinkedIn. Um, and obviously, you know, this is a big moment, I think, for any design leaders um, to just grow through that. I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are some of, uh, what, what's been key to you, you know, in terms of like being successful in prioritizing your work? Because there's, I, I imagine there's a thousand and one things on the desk every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how do you prioritize these things? And, and you know, have you been wrong before in prioritizing these things? And, and what are they as well? Yeah, it's such a good question because as leaders, sometimes we can forget to grow our own skill sets because we're kind of day to day, things are happening, problems are surfacing. And it's so critical that as leaders that we can prioritize really effectively things like decision making, prioritization, communication. These are skill sets we need to grow in, but not all the time do we have opportunities to do it through the job. We just we have to be really intentional as we talked about being intentional and growing. So when I think about prioritization, it's a skill that I've really focused on because it can get out of hand really quickly. I've had, you know, different numbers of different direct reports over the years, um, most recently as much as 12. So when you have that and you're also trying to run a team, you really have to effectively prioritize. So at the beginning of every week, I ask myself, like, what are the top three things that I need to get done? And then I fill in the rest after that. And even though, uh, you know, on a great week, you can do more than those three things. Sometimes it comes down to only those three things. And so you really have to be careful about what you're choosing and track against that. So you're not getting caught up in busy work or things that your team wants you to solve that aren't necessarily the things that you need to be solving. So when I look at defining those top three things, I look at what is the business need? What are our customers saying? And then what does my team need? So to prioritize effectively, it's really important to be connected to those groups of people. I have to understand from the product team um, and the business, what are our goals? What is our three-year strategy? And how does everything fit into that? And then the CX team, they're on calls every day. And if you're a design leader and you're not connected to the CX team, it's going to be really hard to understand what the maybe even non-urgent but important things are. If there's like the top five tickets that are coming in and you're always ignoring them because they're not on the product roadmap, then you keep creating that debt and that can be really challenging. So be close to your uh, CX team and understand what are the top challenges there and then your team. So whether you, if you manage managers, you can have skip levels as well, or if you have direct reports, but always staying in touch with them and asking them what their advice is and what they see that needs to be worked on. So you can continue to, to filter that list. So I align myself to pretty basic framework that I think we all know, which is that like what's important and urgent, important and non-urgent. So as a leader, I think those are really the two categories that you get to work in. Everything else kind of falls off the table. Um, And it's really important to be decisive and transparent and then follow through and show your team that it's okay to say no. And it's okay to only focus on those areas and reward that so that they can learn to prioritize too. Because a lot of the busy work is just not having good priorities and then, or your team also as individuals not being able to effectively prioritize. Thanks for sharing that, Jess. This is definitely a sort of like a human problem where it's like, you know, everyone just (laughs) seems to think that 
anything on my desk just sounds important and I'm just going to do it and everything just sounds urgent. But definitely like, you know, one of the things, uh, and if you agree with me is, you know, um, that I've heard so well at this quote again and again, is that, you know, there, there are actually not a lot of things in our life that are that important if we think about it. Um, and when we mean important, it's like existential, right? And so a lot of tasks mm-hmm. are just not that important when we come to think about it. Um, and just one last question about, you know, the way that you look at product design, um, uh, from a leadership perspective and also f- just from a, des- uh, pr- a design leadership perspective as well. Um, you know, a roadmap is something that is crafted by by product leaders, but also involvement with design leaders as well. Um, what are some of the, you know, good indicators that a roadmap needs to pivot? I think also just because I asked this question because we talk about prioritization and roadmap is something that came to mind. And so, you know, um, roadmap change from time to time, but, you know, what are some of the signs that you look out for that a roadmap needs to change and it has to change fast? Yeah, we talked about we talked about customers and really being connected to your CX team and understanding the customers. So I think there's, there's two reasons why I think things need to pivot. I'm sure there's more, but I'll, I'll speak to two that need to pivot. The first being that you hear from your customers that you're not solving the right problem problem. And sort of like you were saying with like, I'm doing the most important thing that can be really hard because if your customers are saying that we don't have that problem and you're trying to solve it, you can end up in a place where you don't have product market fit. You're just building something that that folks don't want to use. Or if you hear from them that you're solving the right problem, but you're doing it the wrong way, which can also be hard because you've created this thing, which is why really rapid prototyping or sandboxing with engineers and getting usability testing done can really help. So you don't end up developing something that ends up on the cutting floor. So I think finding from your customers, make sure we're solving the right problem and then make sure that we're solving it the right way. And if, if the answer is no to either of those, you need to change. And then the second one, um, you mentioned AI. Um, the, the second one is just the industry and the world dramatically changing. Um, you know, when the pandemic happened or when we see the rapid development of AI, we have to take a step back and pause and think, do I need to change my roadmap? Because I'm not outside of what's going on in the world and industry. Like we are a part of that. And so you don't want to react without, you know, being thoughtful. You want to be thoughtful about it, but you do need to step back and look at what's happening in the world and the industry and make sure that you respond to what's happening as a part of your roadmap. Oh, thanks for sharing that, Jess. Um, so you know, I want to maybe move on to the next segment about, which is the final segment about your career and just generally culture building and leading teams. Uh, one of the things that you know I want to get a perspective on is you know culture building and and it's so important. It's obviously a critical part of design. And as a mom of three, what are some of the challenges you faced um, when you raised your child? And obviously, that has translated to managing your team. Um, and obviously, you know, I have so much respect for for all the uh, you know mentors who are who are mom as well uh, that I've met on AEP list. And I think one of them uh, who you might know is Vivian. So she used to be from LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and and you know she actually reached out to me on LinkedIn um, or Instagram. I believe it was Instagram, and she was like, "Hey." Um, you guys got to add a category on working moms. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So um, I would love to ask, you know, has anything just being a mom of three, um, you know, translated to you being sort of like a, a leader and, and and managing your team as well, if you could share those learnings? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yes, I know Vivian, love Vivian. Um, yeah, I think every parent could agree that like being a parent is challenging and rewarding. 
um, together and kind of living in that space. And being a leader is really similar. It can be both challenging, but is also really rewarding. So one challenge I've spoken to before is just learning how to manage my energy and learning how to be my best. Because not only was I in the process of having kids, um, you know, during the tech industry and during a lot of really fast paced stuff at LinkedIn, like when we were redesigning mobile and I was pregnant in the project room and there was a lot, a lot going on there. Um, so not only have I done that, but I also became a manager while becoming a parent as well. And so there was a lot that came with that. Um, and just learning how to manage my energy when there's a lot of individuals that need your time and attention. And so you need to take care of yourself to be able to show up your best. So I, I love my role. I love being a design leader. I love having the opportunity to drive exponential impact, not only in the business, but for people as well. Seeing people achieve their goals and achieve their dreams is just one of my favorite things. Um, but I had to realize my energy um, you know, really needed to be taken care of. And so part of that is when I have, you know, one-on-one conversations, I have tons of them a week. I'm hiring talent. I'm coaching. I'm discussing things with partners. I learned that if I had several one-on-ones in a row, I'm very drained and I'm not my best and I'm not being present and I'm not showing up for that person. And that's really what they deserve. So time management plays a role in really keeping track of my energy and balancing that out. So I block out deep work time, I block out one-on-one time, and I stick to it. And I'm honest with people. I think as a manager, sometimes you think I have to be on call. And so anytime someone reaches out to me, anytime someone drops something on my calendar, I have to be there. But the truth is, if you're not at your best, you're not helping anyone. And so be really intentional with where you spend your time, where you get your best energy from, and manage your calendar that way. goes back to prioritization. You really need to manage your calendar that way. And then just be open and honest with people. Say, hey, I'd love to meet with you. I'm going to meet with you tomorrow morning. I want to show up at my best and I have a lot going on today. So just being open and wow. honest with that. I've learned that a lot as a parent and as someone at work. So I do the same thing at home so that I show up as a great mom, as a great partner, because as a leader, as a mother, you often set the tone. You set the tone at work. You set the tone at home. So you need to have energy to be positive, optimistic, your authentic self and your best self. So I think managing my energy has been something that I really learned um, kind of in the deep end all at the same time. Uh, I think people kind of saw me go, go through that, honestly, at work and at home. Um, but I was really intentional about working on it and growing through, through that. Well, it just sounds like, you know, you have grown a lot, a lot throughout this process of being a mom and as well as like managing tons of people and having 12 direct reports just isn't easy. I mean, you know, I just have four right now, but it is already a huge, huge time of a uh, huge chunk of my time. And so um, thanks for sharing that. You know, I'm personally learning a lot already right now. Um, and I'm curious when it comes to leadership, you know, is there one big and single mantra that you found that has worked well for you and it's really successful to help you to build better teams and, and, and people culture uh, with this one mantra? I don't have a mantra per se, but I'm a really big fan of radical candor. And whenever I have a manager join my team, I share the book with them. It's based on, you know, Kim Scott's book that she has just leading from a place of honesty and transparency and compassion. 
So when I build teams, I really think about the team holistically as individuals, but also holistically as a group. So when I when I look at my team, I'm not hiring a bunch of individuals because they're a team. And so I'm hiring a team that works together, complements each other. And I'm really honest with each of them about their superpower and how they fit into that team in that, that bigger picture. It can be really challenging because as you hire leadership, you don't always have the option of when a role is open, you're kind of always constantly evolving your team and having people join and just continuing to go towards that North Star of having everyone compliment each other. So I'm really open with them about their superpower and the value they bring to the organization and the team and how to lean on each other and each other's strengths and not highlight the gaps that that each of them have. We all have superpowers. And so if we can hire leadership teams that complement each other, it can work really well. It can also be really challenging because you're talking about opposites, right? So if you you hire people who are sometimes opposite in something and you're creating a really, truly diverse team, there's going to be challenges, but there's so much reward in working through those challenges and being open and honest with each other so that you can have a team that reflects the people that are using your product and also have all of those superpowers together collectively. So just being honest with them, having them know what that is, whether it's, you know, a skill like communication or optimism, or if it's their focus area, like they're really good at people management, or they're really good at leading the product, or whether it's that they have a long history in the industry, or they actually recently switched industries. These are all really great perspectives to have. And I encourage them to see each other as their first team and to partner together so that they can collectively drive the energy, momentum, and collaboration across the team. And then they can apply that thinking to their teams and all of their direct reports so that we're all on the same page and kind of going in the same direction. Wow, thanks for sharing that, Jess. And you know, as we were just talking, one of the things that I became so curious about were just first-time managers, right? People stepping into leadership mm-hmm. role or just managerial position where now they, they're no longer just an IC and they have to actually make the transition uh, into manager or just anyone listening to this who is going through that phase or thinking to actually go through that phase um, soon in their career. You know, what are some of the things you wish you would have knew um, going into you know, becoming a manager or a leader? And what are some of the common pitfalls that you think um, new managers and, and, and leaders commonly face? Yeah, wow. That's, I feel like one of the, one of the hardest things for me moving into management was going from a peer to manager. And I think that's natural because, you know, it's hard to become a manager when you weren't on that team before, because you, you have to, by virtue of, of being the manager, have experience. So usually you're an IC, maybe you decide you want to be on the management track. And so you raise your hand and they say, okay, you can move from being a peer to being a manager. And that's hard because you were just working alongside these folks. And now going back to talking about timelines and accountability, like suddenly you're like, you know, back when we were in person, sitting with them at lunch. And then the next day you're like, oh, I'm holding them accountable for this. Maybe I'm not invited to lunch. And so that transition was really hard for me. I didn't have that understanding. I thought, well, you know, we're all in this together and this will be great. And we'll mutually help each other's career. And and truly being an IC leader and being a, a you know manager, people leader of a team are really different. They're different roles. They're different skill sets completely. And they can work really well in partnership. But that transition is really tricky. So I, if you're in that position, I really advise people to 
get an outside mentor, whether it's outside your team or outside the company, even going on ADP list and finding someone to say, Hey, I'm in the middle of this shift of going from, you know, peer to manager, please help me so that I can build the confidence to fully be in my role and be the best manager I can to them and to the team. It took me a long time to, to process that and get through that. And I, I do think it's one of the, the biggest challenges is just building your own confidence as a leader, especially if you go from being a peer to being a manager of the team. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, I, I haven't really been through that phase before, but I could already sense it because so, so just for context, you know, I actually spent two years in the military, uh, in, in the army. And so I actually went from just a corporal and just a recruit and I became the sergeant to my peers. And so it was almost like this transition as well. And it was weird because now you got to try to earn their respect, not as a friend, but as a, as, yes. as, as, as a superior. And that, that was just a really interesting transition. So thanks for sharing uh, your, your advice on that. And I want to, you know, really skip forward uh, to sort of like wrap things up with your journey. Um, you know, just looking at personal growth and a lot of people just wanting to be in your position. I mean, you, you came to your position after almost more than a decade in this industry, which is not, you know, a short period of time. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of grit involved a lot of passion involved as well. Um, just looking at your personal growth, should folks that are listening that wish to emulate your journey and wish to be inspired in some sense, like what do you say has been some of the key factors to your success and your rise to, to who you are today? Yes, this is a big one. Um, there are so, there are so many factors. It's hard. It's hard to point to one that really factored into my success and where I am today. I'll say the support of my parents when I chose to pursue graphic design, because that can be a challenge. So when I chose to pursue an art degree and, and they were really supportive there, the talented people I worked with that I mentioned like earlier along the way, just working with really talented people, being at the right place at the right time in the industry um, that's, you know, that's part of it. You know, it's a part of the success. I know, I know folks ask kind of, you know, is it luck or is it hard work? Like being at the right time at the right place is a part of it. And then I think continuously pursuing personal growth and new challenges, as we've talked about throughout my career, I always look for a challenge and I always want to personally grow. And so there is the need to have open doors in front of you, but then there's also the need to walk through those doors. So I think all of those things played a role in where I am today. Um, and yeah, I feel I feel really successful and really grateful for that because I get to work with really talented people. I'm at a really interesting company during this time in technology where there's, again, kind of rapid development of different technology. And I get to do all of that while being the solo you know, financial supporter of my family. And I'm, I'm really proud that I get to play that role as, as a, as a mother and, and as a leader. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunities I've had and really proud of that. Oh, thanks for, thanks for sharing that Jess. And I think one of the things that, you know, as we talk about this question of key factors to your success, um, you wrote on the document where, where, you know, we prepared for today's podcast about um, doing the boring things. 
right? And and, and I, I didn't quite get that, uh, which I find it really interesting. Uh, could you expand a little bit on the concept of doing boring things? Uh, you know, because it does sound counterintuitive to a lot of people, but I think there's definitely some wisdom there across your career and your journey if you want to touch on that. Yes, I'm a big fan. If people have ever heard my talks before, I always share that you should do the boring thing. And um, if if you're looking to unlock your career, that's what I often tell people. If there's a big, scary, hairy problem in your company that nobody wants to tackle because it's not cool or it feels too hard, my advice is to go for it. Because as an individual, if you're the one tackling that big, scary, hairy problem, it has a direct impact on your customers, on the business, and you can fix it. And if you fix it, you've suddenly personally unlocked value for your business and customers, and people will start to notice, especially if you do it with you know positivity and optimism and grit and hustle, and you don't back down from a challenge. People will notice and it will really drive value for your company, but also for you, because even if you do feel unnoticed, you're gaining those skill sets and those are translated. They can translate that across to this company or across the industry. So I'm a big fan of do the boring thing and definitely encourage everyone to seek out where that might be in your personal life or in your company and look at ways that that can unlock you and your career. Oh, thanks for sharing that. You know, sometimes the boring things just help us grow the most. So uh, just, just talking about yourself, um, you know, what is exciting for you right now? What is, what is next for Jess? You know, what do you, what, what do you wish to hit in the next couple of years and why? Yes, next couple of years for me. So the next personal milestone for me that I'm really excited about is pursuing taking on a role as a strategic advisor or being on a board at a company. So I'm actively pursuing opportunities right now and would love to use all of the superpowers that I've gained over time and the experience I've had over time in org design, product strategy, moving up market and being a part of this growth, and in general, just developing leaders and helping them be the best that they can be. I'm really passionate about guiding a leadership team through those unique challenges of building healthy and sustainable products and teams that that can continue to drive value and, and create value for themselves and their organization. So that's next for me. I'm really excited. So just started pursuing opportunities and, and really excited to see where that takes me in the next few years. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Um... So we have come to the close of of this uh today's podcast, and you know I I love to, uh, I always love to ask this question to our audience. If there's any closing thoughts that you would like to share, um, with all of us, the listeners, any last minute wisdom, I I call it that you like to impart uh to to the rest of the community. Yes, invest in personal growth. I know we've talked about that in the last. Uh, you know, a few questions, but early in my career, I engaged in asking for feedback really early and often. So after I delivered work, after you have a presentation, after you give someone a difficult conversation, if you're a leader, ask for feedback, because when people know you're open to feedback, they're more willing to be honest and share feedback. It's really hard for people to go out of their way 
okay to give someone critical feedback. So when you ask for it, not only are you more open to it, but they're going to be more open to share as well. And receiving and addressing that feedback really boosts career growth and, and really helps you. So connect with career coaches, connect with folks on very specific things. Some things that I did throughout my career was learn how to be an effective communicator, learn what motivates me. As I mentioned, learn how to manage my energy. And that really unlocks a lot of different things for, for you and for your career. So shout out to ADP List as an amazing resource for finding mentorship and for pursuing personal growth, because that's really how you're going to unlock continued value for yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. And thanks for the shout out. Um, so we're, we're going to do something spontaneous with all our guests. Okay. Uh, it's called a lightning round. I know that we have prepared the lightning round, but lightning round is not supposed to be prepared. So I'm going to ask you some questions outside of things that we have prepared. Don't worry. They're just going to be fun. All right. Okay. So the first question is, what is your last Google search? My last Google search? Oh, so how do I do that? I don't know. Well, you can just share on top of your mind, like what is something prominent, the last one. Okay, it says, <laughs> what, time, what type of band is Paramore? Because I was trying to figure out what kind of music they were. <laughs> like what is Paramore? I've listened to Paramore and I don't know what category they're in. I found out they're like alt rock or, or pop rock. So okay. yeah, that was my last Google search. <laughs> All right, okay. That, that is good revealing. to know. That is good to know about you. Uh, what is something that is not a not a big deal to most people, but it's a torture to you? Oh. Um, sensory. So I actually am um very like um high there's hypersensitivity and hyposensitivity. So I have hypersensitivity. Mm -hmm. So things like the color red, there's like none of it in my house because it causes me like anxiety. So yeah, it's really interesting with just different sounds or different sights or or different textures um, are a problem for me. So um, yeah, I, I make sure to like maintain that going back to talking about my energy, but it is really funny because someone will wear a red jacket and I'm like, you're really ruining the beach for me right now. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I would imagine a lot of people wearing red in, uh, you know, on the beach. Uh, thanks for sharing. And the last one, last one. Uh, what is what is a non-existent job that you wish existed? Oh wow, a non-existent job that you wish existed. That's tough. I just found out that you can be like an architecture or interior design photographer, and I was like, I would love to do that. That's a thing. Wow. I didn't know that was a thing. So that's amazing. <laughs> it exists, I guess. It's not non-existent. I don't know if I can come up with a non-existent role, but right. being a photographer specifically for like beautiful spaces, that's amazing. Wow. So I think, I don't know. I feel like there's a role for everything. Yeah. I always tell that when I go to schools and talk to kids on career day, I'm like, if you can dream it up, like you can make a business out of that. You can make money. It, it, they don't teach you that in school, but there's a yeah. lot of things that you can do. That is amazing. I think a lot of kids are just spending a lot of time on TikTok these days. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Jess. So um, we've come to the final part, um, you know, so where can people find you after this podcast, uh, after listening, um, you know, on socials or online, where, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, speaking of TikTok, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on social media very much. 
um, more of a face-to-face -face kind of person, but I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. And then you can find me other places if you go to at Hello Jess Clark. So where you find Hello Jess Clark on Instagram or on the web, that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. And I really appreciate you for being a guest today. And, you know, it's such a fun time hosting you and, and we can't wait to have you back here again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Felix. It's great to be here.